why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? And welcome to InterVR, the podcast where we talk about everything virtual reality. I am your host, Chris Miranda, and today I am joined by Eric Greenbaum, the uh, a neuroscientist and patent at- attorney uh, working out of the state of New York, I believe. Indeed, New York. Awesome. Uh, I'm glad to have you on the show, Eric. Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Chris. It's uh, I love to do these things, and I love to talk about VR and uh, be a, a resource to the VR community. And that you will, because I have a lot of questions for you. Excellent. Let's start with the first. Um, what What is attracting you to virtual reality? I mean, I think uh, like a lot of your listeners and a lot of the people that are active in the VR community, you know, childhood experiences, uh, me particularly, it was uh, the Lawnmower Man. I think that was in 92. I saw that and, you know, people have talked about uh, post-Avatar depression mm-hmm. where, you know, after seeing the movie Avatar, they, you know, they wished that their life could be uh, like Avatar, and I kind of had a similar experience after Lawnmower Man, feeling just kind of depressed and down, like, you know, VR is just amazing, and I wish I could have that in my life, and, you know, in 92, just kind of knowing that, you know, it was a long way off, and just kind of feeling down about that, and then I've been I've been kind of tracking the development of the technology, you know, since, since then, and, you know, in the last few years, things have kind of gotten really exciting. And with with the development of the Oculus development kit and that and that release, things have have really kind of you know jumped jumped up in, by orders of magnitude. And you know it 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 appears that the age of, of VR is upon us. And, and I'm super excited about it, and I'm super excited to be a part of it. How are the people around you reacting to these new things that you that you speak about? I mean, are, are, are people uh, around you pretty? open-minded about the you know virtual reality and this new paradigm shifting technology or are people still trying to catch up i think that there there are kind of two groups of people you know there's the group of people that are are kind of like in the know and you know i was at uh, indicade on friday and there was a we were kind of just chit-chatting about over at the oculus uh demo booth and you know people that came over and saw it were just kind of blown away and you know, you, you, you try it on, especially the, the HD dev kit, you try it on and you just see the potential immediately. You know, gaming, video, um, online meetings, I mean, you name it, people see it and, and they get super excited. I think there there's a, another larger group of people that, you know, you talk about it with them and they kind of give you a funny look, like they don't really know what you're talking about. You get you get people saying stuff like, oh, I, I would never want to put something on my, my head. Why would anyone want to do that? You know. Mm-hmm. In, in my experience, you know, my my family kind of are, are some of those people that are were very skeptical initially, and so you know, you, I invite them over, I, I put them on the the Rift coaster, uh, and they they are they quickly become converts. Put it that way. Yeah, it's it definitely is one of those things for for the skeptics. That you're gonna have to try it out and and see for yourself. And I can only imagine imagine the impact of what the consumer model will will do to people you know that are uh, that are not open to this to this new thing yet. Yeah, uh, I mean it's really been amazing that just the the difference between the dev kit and the HD prototype is is substantial. And you know people that people that have tried out the Crystal Cove 
are are equally blown away by that. So, you know, the ultimate, the the eventual consumer version, I think, is going to be an impressive piece of technology. So, as a neuroscientist and in in a and an attorney, where do you see yourself in this midst of of amazing things happening? Uh, you know, where would you like to see yourself, I don't know, five years from now? Yeah, so um, my core skills at this point are as an attorney. Um, I, I'm not a computer scientist, although, you know, I, I have some experience coding and, and I've, I'm working to kind of get more familiar with um, the coding aspects and the computer science elements. But but right now, I think that the, the most help that I can be is as an attorney who understands uh, VR technology. So... Um, I'm trying to position myself as a resource for companies and individuals that are, you know, trying to create virtual reality startups so that, you know, when they do have legal issues, when they do have questions about patents or trademarks, that, you know, I'm someone that you can call. Um, I don't, I generally don't charge for phone calls. Um, if you quick questions here or there, I'm happy to give people guidance. And I, I, re I really would like to be seen as a resource for, you know, anyone that is starting a VR company. What are the, I mean, for someone who's trying to start a VR company, what are the, generally speaking, what are the, the, the things that you have to look out for in, in, in the terms of, in the realm of the law? So, I mean, the, the law is, is, is complicated, so there, there's a lot of things going on. So I'm going to just kind of talk about IP issues. There are, you know, corporate, corporation issues starting a company, sure. um, partnership agreements, you know, all of those things are important. Um, and, and there are a lot of lawyers that can help with that. M my particular expertise is in intellectual property and patents and trademarks. Um, so the, the things that you want to kind of look at uh, with regard to patents is, you know, you kind of have to ask two questions. The first question is, you know, is what I've created or what I'm creating, is that patentable? And if it is, you know, should I file for a patent on that? And, you know, how do I go about um, starting that process. Um, generally, my feeling is if you think you may have a patentable invention, you want to get go ahead and get something on file, because you know even if the, the the culture of your organization is such that you don't want to sue anybody, you don't want to you kind of want to share your technology and, and share what you've created. Um, by having a patent, you know it, it makes you more attractive to investors, and you know go, going down the road, it kind of may give you leverage over. Over over other compete uh, other competitors. My the other go ahead. Um, I'll let you. I'll, I'll, you can follow up in, in just one second. Um, the the other issue is you want to know if what you've created and what you're trying to put out there infringes on somebody else's patent. Um, and these are kind of different, slightly different analyses that you do in determining patentability or determining if what you're doing infringes on someone else's work. Um, but you want to know if You know, if your product is infringing so that you can kind of be proactive and um, you know, avoid any potential headaches and liability down the road. For sure. I, I become fami I familiarize myself with your blog uh, and your articles on, on uh, IP and, and patents in, in terms of virtual reality. And uh, by the way, I'll, I'll post links on, the, on, on my blog and, and my, on the website to your blog because that's very good work what you're doing. I, I really I'm really impressed. The, um, in terms of these companies, and, and I, what I'm noticing is, is there's this this 
these patterns of, of big companies putting out research and, and patent and money to, to make these patents. Like I did not expect IBM or Canon to be at the top of the list in terms of uh, companies filing for patents. Why do you think these companies? What what purpose? What value do these companies gain from doing that? And and yet we ha we haven't seen a product at all that I mean, to my knowledge, that takes advantage of the technology. So I mean, as a general proposition, big companies especially patent a lot because having a patent portfolio adds value to your company. Mm. And if if you have you know shareholders, particularly particularly in a public corporation you owe a duty to them to build value in the company. So, you know, companies like IBM have a huge R&D budget. They do a lot of research and development. And it's my understanding that over the last, I think, five years, IBM is the you know, number one patent filer in the country, possibly in the world. Um, so, you know, if you, if they, if you develop something in, in, a, in an IBM laboratory, They'll, they'll file a patent on it, they'll get a patent, and you know they'll sit on it. And maybe they'll sell it, maybe they'll license it down the road, maybe they'll use it in, if, as, a, as a defensive measure. If someone sues them, they can countersue. Um, there are a lot of reasons, and very often, you know, filing and getting a patent is easier than developing and releasing a product. Mm -hmm. So there are people that, you know, they'll have the patents on it and they'll just kind of sit on them and they'll not, they won't be actively involved in developing virtual reality products or virtual reality services, but they'll have R&D in place that they've, where they've made discoveries or they've made findings that are, are relevant to, to VR. So one thing that I, that I, that, that I, I pay attention to is this, this, this patent war between Samsung, Google, Apple, these big companies, they, they really go at it with their armies of lawyers to, you know, I don't know, you know, get a competitive edge over the other. In a, in a, in a hypothetical, hypothetical universe where Oculus, mind you, this, this universe could be very possible, where, where Oculus VR becomes a billion dollar company, what would stop Sony from jumping in on this, you know, patent war uh, bandwagon and, and trying to uh, stifle competition there? Well, so th there are a few things that would, that would kind of forestall that eventuality. Um, the, the first kind of most obvious technical one is if Oculus doesn't, isn't doing anything that infringes on a Sony patent, then they can't, they, 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 they wouldn't have a strong case and they wouldn't spend the money to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's my, I, I'm not, I, I'm not an expert on all of Sony's patents. I, I haven't kind of combed through them at, at the, at the level of detail where I would be able to give an opinion on, you know, whether Oculus infringes on any of Sony's patents, but a lot of what Oculus has done is based off things that are in the public domain. Um, when, when they started out, they were kind of billed as an open source VR HMD. And so a lot of what, what they're doing, at least kind of on the, at the top level, is, is stuff that is, has been out in the public domain for such a long time that no one has a patent on it. Um, Hmm. One of the one of the first virtual reality patents that's out there that was issued in 1960 was for a stereotopic display, a stereoscopic display wherein you had two lenses focused on two um, television screens. Mm -hmm. And you know, realistically, it's very similar to what 
Oculus is different. The, the difference is, you know, we're now using LCD screens, where, and, and in the patent they talked about kind of CCTV like tube screens, but the, the general concept is is the same. Mm-hmm. So the the overall Oculus design is probably not patentable, and there probably is not a patent out there that is going to be a major problem for the overall design. What is the worst case scenario coming from your experience? I I try to imagine worst case scenarios in terms of in terms of patent law and IP, uh, uh, you know, and in the realm of IP, and and I and I don't know if I have a realistic or well grounded, uh, you know, uh, uh, mentality or notion of what what is the worst thing that could happen. Perhaps you could enlighten me and and. and you know, give me some ideas as to as to what is what could what's the worst that could happen for consumers for VR for for Oculus in terms of this this you know uh, world of of you know patents. You know, a, a worst case scenario is that there there is a patent out there that Oculus is unaware of, or you know that that they've kind of are, are not are not paying attention to mm-hmm. that you know covers some some critical aspect of their technology. And they try to, you know, they, they go to release their product and they get, you know, blasted with a patent infringement lawsuit. And under kind of a worst case scenario type of circumstances, um, it, it could delay the release of a consumer development kit, uh, a consumer version of the HMD. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, I, I don't see that as particularly likely, but, you know, you ask for, you know, Hypothetical worst case scenario. Sure. That's the hypothetical worst case scenario. And I think a, a more realistic worst case scenario is there could be patents out there, you know, that you know either some of these big these big players have mm-hmm. that may be critical for you know certain developments or certain technology in the VR space. Um, that you know people will have great ideas and they'll have you know, wonderful tech tech demos for, you know, something super cool, but, you know, they'll, they'll look through the patent literature and they'll say like, oh, look, you know, you know this guy has a patent that covers this and you know, he's not willing to license it he, or he wants a exorbitant licensing fee. And, it, you know, we feel that it's a strong patent and we don't want to litigate, so we're not going to move forward with developing our technology. You know, that, that to me is, is a worst case scenario. Is you, you have people ready, willing, and able to release really, really cool stuff, and because of fear of lawsuits, they're, they're not doing it. Hmm. Um, I'll, I'll kind of give you an example. You know, one of, one of the, the side projects that I'm working on that, that I'm really interested in is exercise in, in virtual reality. And there are a lot of patents that kind of deal with the interplay between computers, exercise, like exercise bikes or exercise machines, and using the exercise machines as controllers for a display playing a video game. And, you know, I, I've spoken to a few people about it, and, you know, they're not unwilling to move forward with certain aspects of these projects because, because there is IP out there that, you know, they're worried about. And, you know, that, that to me is, is a shame, and that's one of the, you know, it's one of the big costs of a strong patent system. Is, is our patent system broken? Because because that I mean, why is the why are these amazing ideas? 
for example, what you just mentioned, fitness and virtual reality. I mean, it just feels like it could, it could go hand in hand. That stereotype of the lazy, fat gamer could go away in a, in a generation where people will be uh, motivated inside virtual worlds to keep themselves and their bodies healthy, and yet... And yet, you know, the people that want to work in them are 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 scared, are fear uh, legal retaliation over innovating and bringing about the future. I, so, is this a is this a system of the patent system itself, or is there something bigger? What what's what? Why is this happening? There are a lot of issues. I mean, uh, on a kind of a first level, the, I mean, on a first level, the patent system is. A kind of a nice, elegant system. Um, a lot of people think, um, you know, if we didn't have patents, we would have kind of this this system of, of openness and sharing. And you know, I don't, I don't believe that to be the case. I think that the alternative to a patent system is secrecy. You know, people will keep their ideas secret and they won't ever talk about them and they they, they won't share them. So, one of the nice things about a patent system is, in order to get a patent, you have to really disclose in, in very exact detail how your invention works, how to make it, and how to use it. So you, you, you make this disclosure, the disclosure becomes public, and everyone can see it, and everyone can learn from it. The, the cost of that is, you know, the person who discloses it, the person who gets the patent on it, has a monopoly on that invention for 20 years. So... You know, there's an inherently there's a, a, a problem because monopolies are bad for competition, monopolies are bad for business. But you know, it's that kind of balance between disclosure sharing and monopolies that that you know the, the government, the legislators have have decided was a, a fair a fair balance. Can you think of a technology that has benefited from the current system, and and perhaps have you have you looked at other technologies that have not benefited from the current patent system? Um, I mean, the, the standard response to that question is, you know, the biotechnology and drugs benefit from the system. And, you know, software and computers do not benefit um, because of just huge differences in the, in the way the industry works. You know, if you have a molecule that, you know, let's say is works for treating cancer and you, you, you develop that molecule, you spend you know, $500 million in R&D doing the tests, you know, getting a formulation, getting everything you know, approved by the government, approved by the FDA, and you start marketing that. You know, you, you've spent you know, between $500, $500 million and a $1 billion um, to get that drug onto the market. Wow. And you need that. Um, that patent gives you market exclusivity, and it, it allows you to recoup the costs of that R&D. But for the patent system, you know, people would, as soon as someone got the, got the drug approved, you know, it's easy to, you know, if, if you're an organic chemist anyway, it's easy to copy a molecule and just start kind of pumping it out. Mm -hmm. So without the patent system, you know, you would essentially see uh, a stop to, you know, the development of, of new pharmaceuticals and, and new biotech products. You know, on, on the other, on the, and, you know, you don't need... You don't need more than one molecule. You have one molecule. That that's your drug. Hmm. You know, on the computer side, things move super fast, and and a product that comes out today was built up was built upon all the things that came yesterday and the day before. So, 
in, in with a 20 year patent life, you know, you can have, you know, a line of code or, or a concept in, um, in computation that can really lock out the development of, of future technologies. So, you know, I, I think that there are definitely issues. There are definitely problems in the patent system, particularly as they relate to um, computers and software. That you know, there there are smart people, smart smart lawyers, smart legislators that are kind of working to, to solve the problems. But there are, there are definitely issues. Right. I don't mean to get too off tangent, but um, do you? But going back to the whole pharmaceuticals and and and, and drugs, the. My, to my understanding, the the person who created the or came up with the polio vaccine made it free and patentless forever. And I, I and to my understanding, we were able to eradicate uh, polio uh, because he didn't go, went off and patent uh, this cure. Is there? I mean, I, I'm sure there are instances of people who have come up with cures to amazing things, and because of patents and wanting to keep them secret or or well, I don't know is is that is that something that happens regularly or, or are you something that that you are aware of I mean I'm not aware of a lot of, of, of any examples where you know someone kept something had a had a breakthrough in a in a medical in the medical field and and, it, and that breakthrough didn't get to the public because of secrecy or because of a patent issue mm. so it, there could be an example out there that I don't know but you know, I'm not aware of one. Right. Um, with, I mean, the I'm not gonna what 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 Jonas Salk did with the polio vaccine and not getting a patent for it. I mean, that is a, a laudable, selfless act. You know, the, the the counter argument for that would be, you know, had he kind of patented it and licensed it and got licensing fees for, you know, distributing the polio vaccine. You know, which he would have. The, the government would have. Um, would have helped to, to get that polio vaccine to everyone who needed it. You know, had he kind of reaped, you know, $10, $10 million or a billion dollars in, in profits, he could have then, you know, used that to work on, you know, a cancer vaccine mm. or, or something else. So, I mean, th there's always a counter argument and especially kind of in the, in the medical space, you know, you, you need such huge amounts of money to do, to do research that, um, sometimes patenting and kind of charging money for your, your products is the only way. So as a neuroscientist, what made you, what made you uh, venture into law and, and technology? I mean, what, is, there, is there something about the, the medical field and, and, and that world that is uh, uh, lacking? Or, or some, I mean, what made you switch? Uh, what made me switch, it, it really is the, the, the pace of development. Mm -hmm. it, it, things are, are glacially slow. It takes a really, really long time to get anything done. It takes a really, really long time to kind of take a scientific discovery and turn it into something that, that is going to be good for people and help people. And, you know, I, I, I admire to a, a great extent the people that, that have the patience to do it. But, you know, you have to kind of, above all, to thine own self be true. You have to kind of know yourself and, and know what makes you happy. So, you know, I, I, I need like a little bit of a faster pace and I want things that, um, you know, I can see results faster. So, you know, being a patent attorney, I get to work with a lot of different projects, you know, a lot of different people that at, at various stages of development. And I, and I get to be, you know, really useful 
immediately in, in helping them to develop their tech. Uh, you know, going back to the the patent stuff, the uh, road to VR, and I saw in you know your article on on, on your blog about how uh, the the first shot has been fired in terms of the the legal wars that the the, the virtual reality space will will face. Um, in terms of there's this lawsuit happening between Oculus VR and Oculi, Oculu, Oculu, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, can can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, what what your knowledge is to, so far? Sure. I actually, um, I was actually able to pull the complaint. Um, so I, I've kind of read it through and I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with awesome. it than, than even when I, I posted that article and I'm, I'm going to, I'll update, uh, I'll update that article later today. But yeah, so this is a, a trademark complaint. Uh, Oculu LLC is a, a streaming video provider and they're suing Oculus Oculus VR on, on seven different causes of action. Um, it is trademark infringement. Oh, I'm just going to pull it up so I don't make any mistakes here. So it's trademark infringement, false designation of origin, trademark dilution. Uh, they're trying to cancel Oculus's applications for marks that, that they have pending in the, in the trademark office. Hmm. Um, unfair business practices under California law. California trademark dilution under California law and injury to business reputation under California common law. So, you know, it, it, it all, there, there are kind of specific elements of, of each of these causes of action, but generally it comes down to, you know, consumers are going to be confused between, you know, Oculus and Oculus VR. And as a result of that confusion, you know, people aren't going to understand or, or people might think that, Oculus VR is really giving is really doing this streaming audio and Oculus or Oculus is associated with you know virtual reality and as as a result of that you know Oculus is saying that their reputation is suffering. Hmm. I can I can kind of see that. I'm just gonna play the devil's advocate and try to put myself in the shoes of the CEO of Oculus. I'm looking at what if I were him. I'm looking at this company that is going to be massive. I mean, if I were him, I, I would look at him and be like, that that company, Oculus VR, is going to overshadow everything I've ever worked for, because all of a sudden on on Google, everybody's gonna go directly to Oculus VR. I, I mean, maybe maybe that's what I can think of. Like, yeah, no, that that's actually something that they they say in the complaint is that you know, and over the last you know few months you know when if you search oculus the first thing that comes up is oculus hmm. so you know that 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 kind of undercuts their their seo strategy um you know one, one of the issues and one of the things to to kind of keep in mind here has to do with a, a fundamental of trademark law which is if you choose as your trademark something generic you know you run the risk of um of, of having competing marks um, I, I did I did a little research into it, and I think there are 26 or, or there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 registered marks that incorporate Oculus, the word Oculus, or Oculus. Whoa. Um, so you, we have surgical devices, we have uh, rifle scopes. You know, there are a lot of things that have Oculus incorporated into their trademark, mm -hmm. and you know one of the reasons is you know Oculus means eye. So kind of a lot of companies that deal with eyes have adopted 
you know, Oculus a, as part of their mark. And, you know, if, if I was, if I was Oculus's attorney, and I'm sure they have, you know, excellent IP attorneys um, that they're working with, you know, that, that's one of the things that I would argue. I would say, like, look, Oculus is a, a Latin word that means I, you know, our company deals with eyes, their company deals with video. You know, there, there are also a lot of companies out there that have incorporated Oculus into, into their name. And you know, the weakness of the mark cuts against Oculus' case. So, so in terms of trademark, that's an interesting uh, thing you mentioned just now about how if it's a, it's, if it's a generic word, usually you're going to have you know, dozens of other people with, with the same word in them. So, are, I mean, for, for people who are small-time trying to get started, like, are we going to have to invent new words in the English language to, you know, avoid that, that Titanic crash? So there, there's a type of mark called a fanciful mark, which okay. is kind of a, a word that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And those words are the best, make the best trademarks. So take Exxon. You know, Exxon, E-X-X-O-N... You know that that's not a word in the English language, hmm. and you know you, you would never use Exxon to describe something other than you know the company that bears that name. So that that that's a very strong mark. Hmm. Um, similarly with Kodak, um, there there's no there there isn't a Kodak that I, I mean maybe there is. I mean I don't I don't would never use the word Kodak to describe anything other than the company that bears that name. So if you're looking to have a strong trademark, invent a word. Hmm. Thank you for the legal advice for free. Little, little nug, little nugget for you guys out there. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, so so, what are the, what, how do you think this situation is going to get played out on, uh, with with between Ocul, Oculu and, and Oculus? Uh, how do I think it's going to play out? I don't know. I'm not going to guess on on what Oculus is going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, th- their choice is either fight or settle. Fight and, or settle. You know, it, it's a it's a internal business decision that that they will make with. Mm-hmm. In, in consultation with their advisors and their investors, possibly, mm-hmm. and they'll decide whether you know they want to kind of settle with with Oculu to make to make this go away, or if they want to say you know you guys are wrong, and we feel that you know this is a, a, a grab for money, mm-hmm. and we're not going to play we're not going to play that game with you. We will not be intimidated, and you know we'll go to the mattresses on this, and you know we'll see you in court. And you know the kind of the question becomes you know. They can settle for cheaper than it would cost to litigate the case, but mm. in so doing, they may open themselves up and paint themselves as a target for other people that you know are looking to kind of see if they can make a quick buck by filing a lawsuit. Yeah, it's uh, I, I think uh, yeah, it's a it's a litigious society the one we live in. Uh, it is, it is. And so I, I think, I mean, if I were, if, I mean, if I were Palmer. Uh, and Palmer, I'm sure you're not listening to this, but this is what I would do. I would go Genghis Khan on these motherfuckers. I, and, by, and by motherfuckers, I'm talking about like, you guys are awesome people, Oculu. I mean, uh, you know, but but what if you listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History? I'm a huge fan of Dan Carlin and his Hardcore History, especially the Genghis Khan podcast. Holy moly, you have to listen to this thing. I'll so check it out. yeah, so so there's this one. Um, so the Mongols, what they used to do is they used to 
just destroy, destroy cities and just, they would like, and they would make examples out of one city by completely decimating them and just, and the others would like, all right, well, we're, we're just going to surrender because I know what you did to the other guys. So, for example, there's this one instance in which they were storming a Middle Eastern city and one of Genghis Khan's son died in battle. So Genghis Khan brings about his, uh, his fiance and uh, sits her on a golden chair in front of the gates of the city they were storming. They gather all the all the the citizens of that city, women, children, old people, everyone, and a hundred thousand of them were all had their heads cut off right in front of her, as 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 a gift to her, as a listen. This is what they get for having killed. And so and so, what I, I'm thinking uh, Palmer should do that he should go Genghis Khan on them and put make an example out of them. Um, well, I mean. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the sentiment of, of course, you know, no one is advocating any type of violent action. Definitely not. This, 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 this is a business dispute that will be handled by attorneys. In, in the <laughs> um, and, you know, it, I, I cert, you know, we, we love Oculus and we love VR technology and like, we want to see them succeed. And, and anything that kind of stands in the way kind of make, makes us angry and, um, and, and, you know, reasonably so. Um, but you know, this is just a business dispute, and you know, I, I can assure you that the people inside of Oculus recognize it as this is just a business dispute, and you know, we'll, we'll get through this. And you know, whether we litigate or whether we settle, you know, it's just kind of one more one more obstacle. And you know, when, when you're when you're I, I when you are putting out a new piece of hardware, mm -hmm. you know, the challenges associated with you know sourcing the manufacturing and developing the technology and testing it and and all of those things. You know that that's the hard stuff. Yeah. And you know, compared to doing that, you know, dealing with a, a trademark infringement lawsuit is, you know, is small potatoes. Definitely, I you know you know you're and I think uh, definitely not advocating violence, but I I do think that uh, the warfare of the 21st century is being held in courtrooms and business uh, business. Uh, with business, that's what. Yeah, and look, you know, in a, in a real way, I mean, maybe that's preferable. I mean, better better that we we deal with each other in depositions than yep. you know with swords and axes. Definitely. Uh, so, what what could what you I mean? What is what could the court even decide here? Like, what could the I mean, what could the judge say? Like, all right, Oculo, you can't. This is it. I mean, I mean, what what is. What would be the outcome if this went full out litigation? I mean, I'm sure you don't you don't want to be playing the guessing game, but I'm but I I like that, so I don't I know mean, if you want to indulge me. It would the 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 judge or the jury, as yeah. the case may be, would kind of look at each side's arguments. You know, mm -hmm. Oculus is going to argue that their mark is strong and it is incontestable and protectable, and Oculus is going to try to attack that, and you know, Oculus is going to say that. You know, customers would not be confused. The customers that are looking to buy a virtual reality headset are are different from the customers that are going to be buying streaming video. You know, they'd probably touch on the, the, the Oculus issue that it means eye, and it's a generic term that is relevant to not only the video and the head-mounted display industry, but, you know, a variety of other industries that have adopted the, the word Oculus as part of their trademarks. Yeah, so those are the arguments that will go back and forth, and the decision will be, you know, look, they either the either plaintiff, either Oculus has proven or has not proven, you know, the likelihood of, of each of these causes of action. You know, so with regard to trademark infringement and customer confusion, for example, you know, they they would say, you know, plaintiff has not made its case 
that customers will be confused, therefore, you know, case dismissed. Hmm. Or they'll say, you know, they have made their case and, you know, therefore, you know, Oculus is liable for damages and, you know, stand by for the damages phase of the trial where, you know, Oculus will have to prove, you know, what what Oculus owes them. You know, th those are the kind of how it could go. You think, you think this is a sign of things to come for this in burgeoning, you know, newborn industry? I think that uh, litigation is a cost of doing business, and it, every field um, deals with litigation. Big companies have big litigation budgets. You know that that's why you know you know legal is a is a department in, in virtually every every corporation because mm -hmm. you know this is like you said business is war, and the warfare of business is conducted in a courtroom. Hmm. What is the impact of this uh, of this on on the small time? Indie developers, will, will it have an impact on small-time indie developers that want to create experiences and are, I mean, we, we know that there's patents for hardware, for sure, in VR, but what about software? There definitely are software patents out there that, you know, developers want to be aware of. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, there, there are, I, I see a lot of, um, you know, as a neuroscientist and as a patent attorney and as someone who's interested in, in VR, You know, one of my particular areas of interest is, you know, using virtual reality technology to treat mental disease and disorder. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the things that has been you know, really fruitful in, in that in that realm is treating PTSD with exposure therapy in virtual reality. And there there are a bunch of games out there that I've seen kind of on the Oculus uh, on the Oculus subreddit. You know, they're talking about you know we would like to use our our game to It's called. Is it called Neverland? Nevermind. You know. Um, I'll there, have to look it up. There, there's a, a biofeedback game mm -hmm. where, um, as as the as the player's heart rate increases, the game gets harder. And there's discussion that using that game can be helpful in treating people with anxiety or possibly PTSD. Hmm. Um, and there are there are other games out there that that's just one example, there are other games out there kind of talking about um, treating anxiety or other psychiatric or disorders using these games. And there, there's a, an, an ongoing litigation currently um, where this guy, uh, Lamson, the, the developer of uh, a virtual reality PTSD and psychiatric treatment method, a software method, um, is suing the United States government because they are using you know, his, his patented method. So, you know, anyone who is talking about PTSD in virtual reality in their game needs to be aware of this litigation and needs to be aware of this patent. And, you know, that, that's just one. There, there, are, there are others as well. Speaking of our litigious society, and, and again, in, in that realm, in the, in the context of being an indie developer, do you think we will see the day when an Oculus Rift developer will get sued for... Uh, For example, like a scary games, horror games, they're going to be very intense inside of virtual reality. And I, I, I don't know if it's if it's possible, but but do you think it, it'd be, it's in the realm of possibility someone will come out and say, this game gave me PTSD. This game has, uh, you know, done emotional harm to me. I would like compensation. 
that that's a that's a very interesting and insightful question it's actually something that uh i'm actually working on an article currently that discusses you know what are the risks what are the product liability risks of people that are putting out games and these head-mounted displays for the risk of psychological injury um there's a type of product liability called failure to warn where if 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 you create if you release a product that you know otherwise is is safe and you know is free of design and manufacturing defects but you haven't warned the population about the the extent of the dangers associated with the product and someone gets hurt then you can be liable under what's called failure to warn product liability so people that are putting out super scary games and people that are 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 putting out games that might be upsetting now they may want to consider incorporating certain warnings you know with their product with their game um just to kind of let people know that look this is a possibility um i read an article recently where they they put veterans returning from the middle east through a virtual reality simulation of uh simulated middle eastern environments mm-hmm. and one of the things that you know the soldiers were saying was that look i you know i would be concerned that if veterans saw this and they weren't carefully monitored that it could really it could trigger them and it could it could trigger you know a, a, an anxiety episode or 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 possibly even PTSD mm-hmm. um so yeah that 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 idea is out there and that concern is out there and people that are kind of putting out horror games or or scary games in a in a in a virtual environment that has high degrees of presence and really lets you feel like you're there you know that that's something you want to be aware of it from a, a neuroscientist perspective i mean there there is i mean would you would you do the same for a movie a horror movie would you do i mean my 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 thinking is the following really virtual reality does is a whole different experience for your for your brain than watching a movie so does that i mean will that would would developers have protection under that by saying hey listen you know horror movies are doing it you know there's no reason why but but then again you're right you have to stay protected because that's why the Wii uh, Nintendo every time you 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 turn on the Wii it tells you hey this could give you seizures because right. la 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 yeah yeah i mean i think that you know one of the, the virtual reality is you know you're hacking your brain you're you're tricking your brain into thinking that you are in the game you're in the you're in the virtual environment and that that hack that trick is powerful and it's fundamentally different from sitting in a a movie theater even if it's a you know an IMAX 3D movie theater so you know i especially when you're talking about warning you know it doesn't really cost you that much more to develop a a set of warnings and the the risk of not doing it is, is great so you know do you think courts will see virtual reality differently then i mean uh, you know considering all the things we've spoken about do you think courts will will look at virtual reality from a a different perspective than any other medium out there yeah i mean i, I think that courts will recognize that high de- the, the degree of presence that can be you know there there's a this is a there's a body of scientific literature that talks about presence mm-hmm. and it, the the effects that presence can have on 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 users and you know the court won't won't be able to ignore that and 
it's going to be something that they have to deal with. And especially, you know, when you, when you talk about the, the developer's own words coming back to, to bite them, you know, that when you talk about, oh, you know, in, in virtual reality, experience things that you've never experienced before, you know, get into the game, unlike anything you, you've experienced on, on, your, on your monitor, you know, those are things that can be used against you, you know, in, in, the, in the circumstances of a litigation. So is it well? Okay, so so I have two questions. One is because of because of this. Do do you think that a, uh, someone can sue a VR developer for addiction to for getting addicted to their particular experience slash place in VR? Well, so the the issue with I I think that that's another that's another issue that you want to pay attention to. I mean, mm -hmm. vid, video game addiction is you know. It's recognized, you know, it, it hasn't been incorporated into the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual for, for Mental Disorders, which is kind of, you know, if you get into the DSM, then you're, you know, officially a disease or a disorder. You know, video game addiction has not been put into, DS, into the DSM because, you know, there isn't enough research on it out there. However, they, they talked about putting it in and, you know, they acknowledge that it's something that you need more work on. So if, if regular video games have this potential to be addictive then you know a fully immersive video game or you know other virtual experience that you know is more fun or orders of magnitude more immersive and, and kind of more engaging than you know uh, a computer video game or a standard computer video game then you know that's definitely something to be aware of and it may be something that you want to put on a warning label Definitely. You spoke about VR developers and VR community using, we're speaking about virtual reality uh, in, in ways that, I mean, it's true. It's something that we've never seen or experienced before uh, quite quite yet. And so, and so are, do you think it's, do you think we should, we should tone down the hype train uh, in order to protect the community, you know, VR in the legal realm or, or... Is there a balance to be struck? I mean, my, my personal feeling is you, we don't, we don't let the legal system dictate our research and development efforts. Hmm. You know, we, if, if you want to put out a product and you want to, you want to call it the, the best thing since sliced bread and, and you can back that up, you know, do it. And, you know, this, you know, this is my, my personal opinion. This is not certainly not legal advice. Right. But, I don't want the, I don't I don't want the legal system to get in the way of developing this technology. You know, I want to see this. I want to see VR. You know, make make a big splash and, and become the next big thing. And I think that it's going to. I don't and and I would would hate to see kind of legal issues slow it down. So you know, you, you want to be aware of it from from a developer standpoint and from a, a a corporate standpoint, you want to understand what the issues are, and you want to understand how, how you can best protect yourself against, you know, people coming after you, whether it is, you know, intellectual property or product liability or anything else, you know, the best way to kind of limit your liability is to be proactive, you know, retain people that really understand the issues and will, will help you to develop a, a comprehensive strategy for, for risk mitigation and minimization. And you know that that's the best advice that I can give is just kind of really kind of work with work with smart people and, and understand what the issues are and and you know you do your thing you develop and you work with lawyers that will help you to you know protect yourselves. 
Speaking of being proactive, do you think it should? I mean, it's 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 an industry. Virtual reality will become an industry. Do you think? And and because and every industry has a lobbyist. Do you think that perhaps we should start pulling our money together and starting a Kickstarter to fund some lobbying for virtual reality? I saw a or I was listening to Planet Money and they were talking about how for every company, every dollar that a company spends lobbying, they they get a, a return on investment of a thousand percent. So that's insane. Do you think? I mean, it's a matter of time, but do you think we should be more proactive about you know getting inside the halls of government to make sure VR has a prosperous, stable future? Look, the idea of, of kickstarting a, a lobbying effort is is a really interesting and really good idea. Yeah, I mean, if if there are industry groups out there that want to put that together and to kind of raise awareness of you know how virtual reality can be a boon to the American economy, then then yeah, you know, kickstart it and, and send someone you know to Gucci Gulch and, and start talking about you know let letting the senators and, and Congress people know that you know this is here and you know pay attention to it. For sure. What is, uh, I mean, what is the, but I mean, how is, how, how would this lobbying work? Are we going to have to, you know, buy the senators uh, plane tickets to Alaska or are we going to have to treat them to dinners? What is, I mean, Stephen Colbert did this with their, their super PAC. I mean, the doors have been swung open for money to uh, infiltrate into politics. I mean, it's been around forever but i mean it's since citizens united it's been uh swung right open so why not use the system to our advantage i figured yeah i mean it, it's there and there are there are lobbying firms in washington that you know you, you you would retain them and they have they have relationships with with the right people and, and they know how to how to get their calls answered mm. so you know if if people are interested in doing that then you know there there are kind of well well-worn plans on how to get how to get lobbying time in, in Washington. Go for it. How would you think, how would you think the, uh, how, how do you think governments around the world will react to this new technology? And, and, by, and by, by that I mean, here is this, this new industry being born. And I, and I kind of see it in a, in a uh, because I study politics in college, I, I kind of see it from a geopolitical perspective. For a while I was looking at Sony as being from Japan and uh, European countries putting out their own small, smallish, uh, you know, like Durovis, like VR Ace, and and then the United States has Oculus, and so I, I figured this is this is a geopolitical race to see who is gonna start this new industry, and so far Oculus is winning. What do you what are your thoughts on this? Do you think am I, am I thinking too big out here? <laughs> no, I mean I think that you know if any new technology is gonna kind of have its infiltration path mm -hmm. and you know it, it'll be interesting you know that's i'm interested to see how it unfolds i mean um it, i think it can either be my guess is it's going to be kind of a slow slow adoption because it, it is new you know it, it does involve kind of wearing something on your head which i think people may be you know reticent to try but i think that it's going to kind of grow slowly and then you know it's going to explode hmm yeah, what is it? Do you think it's going to become uh, it, it'll, it'll explode just over time by itself, or do you think there will be a catalyst like a like an app or or someone getting behind it, or or you know I don't know what do you what would you expect it? Yeah, there, there, it may be something like you know the the first killer the first killer 
um, app or the first killer game or the first killer uh, VR movie experience that, you know, makes people that had been reticent to kind of buy an HMD or, or try some try one out, you know, they may hear their friends talking about, oh my God, you know, did you try this? It's amazing. I've never been, seen anything like it. You know, it may, it may be something like that that kind of brings people you know, into, into VR. Follow me down the rabbit hole. I say this every time that I'm about to say something crazy. So, okay. so do you think, do you, do you think one day, uh, we will, people will find ways to do illegal things with virtual reality head mounted displays. And, and by that, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking BDSM fetish communities create a, their own app, torture dungeons for them, for their own, and then someone comes in and mods it to become a legitimate torture dungeon where he, I don't know, waterboards people f inside of virtual reality for fun. I don't know. Do you think? Yeah, it just popped into your head. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear, I swear, I swear I just came up with that. <laughs> but well, look, I mean, if there's one thing that, you know, we, we've learned over time is that, you know, technology is, is, is neutral, right? You yes. Know, it is not good. It is not bad. It's the people will use it for good things and they'll use it for bad things. And, you know, I don't, can you think of a technology that's come out that hasn't been kind of put to nefarious uses? I mean, everything that comes out and everything that can, any, anything that's powerful, you know, people are going to use for, for wickedness. Yeah. So, you know, the short answer is, yeah, I mean, expect to see VR crime. And, you know, what, what, what that VR crime is going to be, I mean, who knows? But, you know. Yeah, VR crime. There well, are bad, we start there are bad people out there. There are. <laughs> uh, do you think we will see VR lawyers, VR courts, uh, a VR legal system, perhaps? I, I mean, again, we're in the rabbit hole, so please embrace it. Yeah, no, I... I, I I think if you really kind of want to go down the rabbit hole and like really start thinking like forget games, forget entertainment, you know, how is virtual reality going to alter society generally? I mean, yeah, I think that you'll start to see all of the all of the functions and all of the things that we do, you know, in you know, reality 1.0, you know, start to be mirrored in in virtual reality. I mean, why why would I why should I have to get on a train? and go have a meeting in New York City? Or why should I have to commute, you know, 45 minutes a day in my car to sit in an office? You know, when I can just, you know, have, be in, in, in my head-mounted display, being monitored by, you know, a Kinect or, or some other movement tracking device. And, you know, I can be on, a, you know, I could be in St. Thomas and working in my virtual office and people can live wherever they want. And we'll we'll meet in our virtual space, and we'll we'll work face to face, you know, virtual face to virtual face. Yeah. But I mean, why 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 couldn't that happen? And you you want to talk about like some of the the goods that the good things that can develop out of out of out of VR is like if you eliminated commuting, if you kind of took the commute off the table, you know, how much would we save in gas? You know, how much? What environmental impact would the elimination of the commute, you know, confer to, to our country and to the world? And I think you start to ask questions like that, and you know, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, games are cool, but if we could work in a virtual environment and never have to commute again, then now we're talking about, you know, global change.
yes. global change that is kind of initiated by VR. Yeah. You know, that, and I believe in that. I think that that's coming. I think it's going to be a while. I mean, don't expect it. You know, don't, don't, don't throw away your car keys yet. But I, I do believe that that's coming. I think I think I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, can't wait to join you in the matrix. Do you think it's gonna be? Uh, and I and I and I would to add, to add to that, I, I would think that the workplace of the future will be inside virtual reality, and it will be somehow gamified, because we've we've done so much progress so far in terms of gamifying almost everything that we use on our smartphones and 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 so I, why why not? Uh, then again, yeah, I, I, I'm constantly unlocking achievements on my Weather Channel app. I don't really <laughs> understand, you know, what what I'm doing or what what I'm unlocking, but you know, I'm like a six level meteorologist. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So it's it's going to be a very fascinating future to live in. Um, but 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 we're still in the rabbit hole. I I would think that there will be enemies to be made from this new paradigm of change because change is scary to some and and where sure. and where and when and when us or some will win others will stand to lose and that's when the car companies are going to come out and the petrochemical companies are going to come out and they're going to start counter lobbying and you know trying to figure out ways to you know buy more cars keep burning that oil because we you know because i don't know I, what do you think do you think we vr uh, this vr economy this this vr paradigm metaverse will will have its share of of enemies and where do you think they may come out of i mean I, if you look at right away who who are who's going to lose out at least in this first round of um this first round of, of VR. I mean, you have, you know, I think games and video are going to be the, the first things that kind of blow up. So the people that are, are locked into, you know, traditional models of delivering games and video, you know, if they don't adapt to, you know, we're, we're in a rabbit hole, we're assuming that, you know, VR is, is going to blow up, mm -hmm. you know, if they don't adapt to that changing environment, then they're going to lose. I mean, I mean, Blockbuster is like the perfect example. I mean, they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. Yeah. And they, you know, they ignored the internet. I mean, how, how could you possibly ignore the internet? It was like, of all the classic blunders, it's just like, don't get involved in the land war in Asia and don't ignore the internet. And they, they, they just dropped the ball and they lost and they're gone. And it's just, you know, the, the whole, that whole industry, that whole, you know, brick-and-mortar movie rental location is, is, is done. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, don't, they didn't have to lose, and the traditional media companies don't have to lose. And the ones that recognize that VR is coming and the ones that kind of get in early and adapt and kind of position themselves to be players in the VR space are, are going to win. And you know, it, it's it's times of change are are our opportunity. Yeah, and you you sort of bringing up blockbuster sort of reminds me what's happening right now with uh, with Netflix and how they're being. Uh, I, I I don't know if it's factual, but but I know that on the San Francisco subreddit, there's people who are reporting that their Netflix House of Cards the other day was being uh, you know their bandwidth was being throttled down by Comcast or uh, the other companies so so what we're seeing 
play out in terms of consuming media through Netflix and Hulu um, and, uh, versus the cable companies, I, I think could see itself play out inside of virtual reality when the more established players, uh, instead of innovating, decide to you know use litigation or use other methods to uh, stifle competition. <clears throat> but yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And the, yeah, and so and so is so far. I mean, again, uh, a little bit off tangent. But do you think Netflix will walk out, will walk away from this? Uh, okay, and and do you think the cable companies will succeed in, uh, you know, keeping keeping themselves uh, relevant? Yeah, this is this is a really really tough question. Um, the the net neutrality issue is a is a big one, yeah. and you know. My understanding, I'm not certainly not an expert on this issue, but my understanding is that if Netflix wanted more bandwidth, they could pay for it. And, you know, if, if, it, comes, if it comes to that, then they could, they could raise their subscription fees a little bit and kind of spread the cost that way and kind of keep, keep their bandwidth intact. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, 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 it's a tough one. I, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. I kind of I can see a little bit of the other side where you know if you if if you are a, a service provider an internet service provider and kind of one company is eating up ninety percent of your bandwidth to the point where other people you know other people's sites are, are kind of not getting through then you know maybe they should kind of carry their weight a little bit more but you know it's a very complicated issue that I'm I'm certainly not an expert on so I'll kind of leave that leave that to the the telecom experts. Yeah, and and well, it's going to be interesting to see itself play out. In terms of you, you talked about net neutrality. How will this issue of net neutrality affect virtual reality in the future? I think that the actually the, the Netflix kind of controversy and the, the Netflix issues are going to be almost like a, a, a test case for what will happen with VR. Because I mean, VR is going to eat up a lot of bandwidth. It's going to need to be really fast mm -hmm. uh, to keep latency. You know, we, we want to have kind of massively multiplayer online VR games. You know, that that's going to require a lot of bandwidth and a lot of like really high speeds. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to need to have people that are going to be the service providers providing those, you know, massively multiplayer online games or, or meeting spaces or, or whatever it is. They're going to need to kind of be aware of net neutrality issues and, and making sure that they can kind of acquire the bandwidth that will be necessary. Speaking of bandwidth, do you think we have the, currently, do you think we have the infrastructure to the current internet, you know, information infrastructure, bandwidth infrastructure to be able to withstand a, a massive multiplayer online virtual reality games across an ecosystem? I think that there there needs to be certain improvements in order to kind of make that a reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that you could probably piece something together, you know, if you kind of do, if, if you're smart about, you know, what you're communicating with and you may be able to kind of do your computing locally and you know, import, you know, just specific aspects of, of the game or specific interaction elements to your local your local computer and have a computation done on site there may be ways to piece that together but i think for for truly kind of if you're doing the computing in the cloud and just kind of jacking in that you're probably going to need some some advancements 
walk me through your vision what do you think what, what everybody has their own personal vision of what virtual reality will become what, what do you think will be what is your personal vision of what this technology can be I, you know i think i think it can be ubiquitous i think it can be it, it can be kind of everything that the internet is now you know the uh, virtual reality will be i mean you have you know, Facebook is is just ridiculously popular. People are, are posting pics and videos and, and you know thoughts and what have you. I mean, a, a, a virtual a VR meeting space, a, a VR place where you can kind of hang out with your friends and, and hang out with your family that maybe are, are geographically dispersed. I mean, that would be huge. That would be immense. You know, I talked briefly about kind of kill your commute. You know, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see. You know, VR workspaces kind of pop up. Um, you know, just just kind of in the development of VR. You know, we, we're scattered. You know, right now we're we're kind of we're we're a, a small group of people that are extremely passionate about it. And you know, I run the New York City VR meetup, and, I, and I've spoken to um, the various other meetup organizers. And you know, it would be great if we could meet in a virtual space and kind of get all the VR enthusiasts together. You know, and but you know, not not just you know, like in a chat room, but in, in together where you know, I could I could look you in the eye and mm. you know, work with you. Yeah. And, you know that that that's my vision, and you know, I, I I think that it will happen. I think that there are a lot of technological hurdles that we're going to have to get over in order to get there. But you know, I I see it as almost inevitable. Like we will get there, and you know, I, I look forward to it. How so? So, in in my opinion, I don't think it takes a neuroscientist to realize that technology is changing the way we are and the way we think and the way our brain is functioning. I, you know, I don't think I, I mean, I talk about this earlier. Like I thought, I, I think I'm, I think we're all addicted, or most of the people around me are addicted to the internet. And you know, I never thought that I would have to. I never saw a thought that I would end up sleeping next to my cell phone all the time. And it's just. It's an extension of me now, and it's weird. Um, so, in that same vein, do you think virtual reality will enhance us? Will it disconnect us more from each other? What do you think? How will it change our brain? I think I think for for most people, I think it will be an overwhelmingly good thing, right? I think that it will in this. People talk about being addicted to the internet. I mean, addiction is kind of a a medically defined phenomenon where you know it, it has negative consequences. You know, I use the internet a lot, but I don't think I, I'm, I'm addicted to it. it. Doesn't have it doesn't have negative consequences for my life. You know, it, in fact, I feel more connected with more people. I mean, I, I speak to to people that I went to college with, that I went to graduate school with, you know, that I did you know various trips with when I was younger, and I'm I'm connected to them in a way that I would never have been able to connect with them. Yeah. You know, before the internet, and do I use it a lot? Sure, but you know, I could stop any time. I mean, <laughs> I think that it, it's more of a tool that we use a lot, and, and it's not necessarily an, an addiction. You know, is there the potential for kind of you know dark futures in VR? Sure. I mean, the, the Matrix kind of painted a pretty grim picture of kind of people plugged into pods, not moving, just kind of jacked into this VR. Yeah. And is is that a possibility? Sure. I mean, I think that for some people, you know, 
or, or for, for lots of people at some times, you know, maybe may, there, there's a risk of in, if, if you're presented with a, a, a gamified, beautiful, safe, fun virtual space, that's going to be a lot more attractive than kind of the real world is sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely the risk of just sinking into that and you know, losing touch with the, 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 the you know, reality of 1.0. What about the question of privacy? Well, um, I mean, we are, you know, there's, it's no, it's no, it's no secret that all of us everywhere are either being monitored or information, you know, that we release out into the ether is being stored somewhere. Um, how do you think this, this dichotomy, how do you think this will be played out inside of virtual reality? I mean, you know, I had a conversation earlier with a developer who was saying, you know, the NSA later on is going to be able to have the ability to look at what you look at, which is kind of weird and awkward. And I think the, the concept of privacy is rapidly evolving and changing. Yeah. In, a, in a digital world where you know your keystroke can be monitored, or a virtual world where your your sight lines can be monitored and your movement can be monitored, you know that easily. The concept of privacy is going to change fundamentally. Um, I mean, it, I, how is how is it going to work out? I don't know. Like, let's wait and see. But I think that you know, I think that with the internet privacy became a question kind of after the fact and by the time people were just like whoa what about privacy it was kind of too late yeah and so i would you know i would hope that people developing in the vr space will have an eye towards privacy you know from the beginning and build to, to the extent that it's possible kind of build the privacy in you know from the beginning and let, let's let's be aware of that going forward yeah definitely how about uh, go, coming back to the real world? Uh, how, how about I've seen a few other HMDs and other companies uh, either in Europe or uh, I mean they're they're obviously you know competitors with Oculus. I think one of them's called Vriela or something. Um, yeah, I, I saw that as well. Yeah, what do you? How do you think that you know will will there be a clash sometime in the future between these two guys? Well, I mean from from the standpoint of a consumer. Competition is good. Yeah, I mean, competition. You know, if 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 Oculus had a had a had a competitor now, where they where they could kind of be pushing each other and, and testing each other and you know keeping keeping each other on the ball, I think that that would be great. And there will be competition for them. And as soon as you know they're successful, you know the other the other people are going are going to jump on. So there definitely will be competition. And you know, I think that competition is healthy. Without competition, kind of things get um, stagnant. Yeah. So there yeah. will be competition and it will push the industry forward. Yeah, it, I, I just hope that there are the, there are standards or, or somehow, you know, me, because I, I, fig- I figured if it's this, this virtual reality paradigm that is being built, uh, I would hope that the people uh, that are at the front lines building it are, are perhaps taking in the lessons from the internet, you know, from from uh, from the dot com bubble, from mm-hmm. you know all these different uh, points in in history. I think, yeah, this thing that can be built could be really really useful for humanity. And yeah, competition is extremely extremely useful how about the android platform in terms of virtual reality are you aware have you been uh, 
Have you seen the Durovis Dive or the VR Ace? Uh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say that, I mean, in terms of standards and in terms of kind of inter-system operability, I think Android ha- has a, shows a lot of promise for kind of being that, that operating system yeah. that may be the answer to kind of keeping, to having standards and having, you know, where, whoever your head-mounted display is, it make sure it operates, you know, on, on this system. I haven't, I haven't seen, I've seen the VRAs, you know, in the sense of I've seen it on the internet. I haven't held one in my hand or, or tried it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen some of the other ones, but, you know, I, I, the, the only one I've tried is, is the Rift. Mm, okay. Yeah, the Durva Zive, I would say it's, I, I have one, and it's, uh, I would say is a very, a very upbeat, very pretty looking little cousin to the Oculus Rift. Right. Um, yeah, my my I have HCC one. It's a the resolution on on my phone is a lot better than the Rift, but okay. the immersion that the Rift gives you is bar none compared to the yeah. other guys. Um, yeah, and you're right. I think I think the Android platform would be a great place to set about you know perhaps standards. Do you think virtual? Do you think the Oculus will uh, will will put themselves out as a as a as, as a true platform really? Because I, I, for the longest time I felt like they've been sort of, you know, uh, tiptoeing between, you know, between being a peripheral, being something that people can use all around, and being, a, or being a platform themselves. Can they have, can they have the, their cake and eat it? Do you think they'll be able to pull off, yes, we're a platform, and we're also a peripheral if you want to make it, you know, pair up with something else? I mean, I think at least initially, they have to be a platform. I mean, they have to be a, a platform to some degree to kind of, facilitate the adoption of VR. I mean, mm-hmm. if they just, if they have a, a great HMD, if it's the best one in the world, which it is already, but I mean, if it's, you know, creates presence and, and does all these things that it needs to do, you know, without, without facilitating content to end user experiences, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. So I think that they, they need to, at least initially, play an active role in being a platform and, and, and having and, and providing that for developers and end users. Hmm. How can uh, you, you know, we talked about how patent law can 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 hinder you know virtual reality? But how how do you think patent law uh, and trademark law the law itself can? How do you think uh, do, is there a way that it, this system this tool of humanity can be also used to the benefit of virtual reality the community slash humanity? Sure. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I think patent patents are, are great for is for independent inventors and, and small companies and startups. You know, if you can, if, if you're able to develop something that is a real innovation and get a patent on it, then you know you can then license that patent to everybody. And I think that one one of the most exciting things and one of the reasons that I've kind of moved away from biology and gotten more into uh, computers and software is because of the democratization of the development. I mean, you need you need a million dollars, you need five million dollars to you know do neuroscience experiments. It's like you need you know a, a five hundred dollar computer to to develop your own games. And I think that you we're going to start to see real interesting developments and, and kind of real innovation from tinkerers, from makers that are kind of working on their own, developing you know. Whether it's it's hardware, whether it's kind of uh, an exercise bike that hooks up to your VR display in your computer, you know, whether it's an innovative way to capture video, I mean, I think that you're going to start to see a lot of really cool stuff 
kind of springing up organically, grassroots, you know, not from Microsoft and Sony, but from, you know, Tim in Illinois who is is playing and, and is just passionate about it. And I think for 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 democratization of technology, you know, the way that Tim is going to protect himself from Microsoft stealing his idea is not that Microsoft steals, but from uh, it is with a patent and it is with intellectual property. And so, you know, I think that that that's where I, I do a lot of my work is with independent inventors and, and startups, and you know where their real innovations are going to to, to move a technology forward. And you know, I, I hope to see that happen with VR. And I think we will see it happen with VR. I think so too. My belief uh, is that virtual reality will touch every segment of our society, uh, indirectly or directly, and. Perhaps, would you happen to have any uh, 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 ideas as to how biology and virtual reality could emerge sometime in the future? Have you thought about that? Yes. I mean, the, the, there's a lot going on with biofeedback stuff and you know, incorporating your body's responses into, into what's happening in the virtual space. Um, there's talk about kind of using externally mounted EEGs or electroencephalograms to kind of monitor your brain waves so that you know, maybe you can control things or influence things in a virtual environment using your thoughts. Um, you start to talk about, you know, brain computer interface technology and, you know, how, how can we more directly influence our, our brain to, to give us a, a more immersive experience. I think that there's a lot you know, particularly in the in the brain computer interface space, there's, you're going to see a lot of of rapid development there. Yeah, Eric, it has been a pleasure. Absolutely, I Chris. Had, thank you. Thank and, you so much for having me. Yeah, I've had an awesome time. You you have uh, given me so much to think about. Um, how can people stay in touch with you? How can people uh, keep up? You know, when is the next meetup? All that good stuff. Right. So. Um, Check out the anyone who's in New York, New Jersey, Long Island. Definitely check out the uh, New York City Virtual Reality Meetup. I'm, I'm in the process of trying to organize something on Long Island, um, but you know it's super easy to get into Manhattan, and we, we'd love to have you. We always have a, at least two rifts set up so people can can try out the, the latest tech demos. Anyone who wants to get in touch with me can can check out my website at uh, greenboundpatent.com or my blog at greenboundpatent.wordpress.com. Um, you find my number or my email through that, and I'm happy to answer questions uh, from anyone at any time. Awesome. Well, then, Eric, uh, looking forward to having you back on the show, and again, thank you for your time. Great. Thank you for having me, and uh, I'll be in touch.